Welcome, you happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. Yes, each and every one of you happy warriors, you, you, and you, is a welcome part of our community of happy warriors. Did I say happy? Yeah, well, because that's because you are someone who has come to understand that happiness is not a reaction, it is a decision. You don't need outside factors to make you happy. You have decided that your default condition for happiness and success is a reasoned, determined, deliberate decision to be happy. And you're also a warrior because you understand that joyful success in life comes from struggling against the natural resistance that in the nature of the world tends to obstruct and resist every step you make in the direction of self-improvement. I call this negative force spiritual gravity. You try to get airborne, and it tries to keep you earthbound. In every effort you make to improve, any one or all of your five F's, it throws up obstacles and temptations. But as a happy warrior, you know that every single victory you win, no matter how small, brings other victories in its wake. And so that's why we are not just warriors and not just happy-go-luckiers, but we are happy warriors. And one of the things that happy warriors realize is that our ability to progress, our success, and our happiness depends upon our ability to impose our own limits on our own freedom. That's right. If you want to make progress on your five Fs, you've got to be able to limit and control yourself. It's called self-regulation. Being able to step off the slippery slide, that seductive ride of freedom, and imposing upon ourselves restraints and restrictions and regulation, that is the direction in which happiness and success lie. Because so many people confuse license with freedom. Licentiousness is doing whatever your feelings drag you towards. Freedom is what you have when you are capable of imposing limits and restraints upon your feelings and emotions. And where that is so particularly important is when you are being carried along by an avalanche of emotions. Coming to trust our emotions is a very dangerous thing. And a happy warrior realizes that emotions are wonderful. We should all have emotions. And we should feel wonderful emotions. We should feel emotions like love and appreciation, gratitude and happiness. We should not indulge in emotions like anger and jealousy. Emotions are real, but we do not regulate our lives on the basis of our emotions. We impose limits and restraints and controls and restrictions rather than just acting on our emotions and doing whatever we feel. That is the single most important rule for a happy and a successful life. Now, some of you may be relatively new to the show, and when I refer, as I do repeatedly, to the five Fs, you may possibly uh, not be quite sure what Fs I'm referring to. And the answer is that you need to visit my website. Make a note of it right now or, or put it on your uh, list. It's called wehappywarriors.com. That's right. We Happy Warriors. And um, the, uh, the, the, the website, wehappywarriors.com, uh, enables you to do two things. Well, first of all, it lets you find that the five Fs are the five fundamental aspects of your life that need to be in good shape for happiness and success. And those are your physical fitness, your finances, your family, your friendships, and your faith. That's right. Those are the five Fs. Faith, family, friendships, fitness, and finance. And uh, if you go to the website, wehappywarriors.com, uh, you will see 
how they integrate together. Something else you can do is uh, make sure you have downloaded a free ebook called The Holistic You, How to Integrate the Five Critical Areas of Your Life for Success and Happiness. And that's a free ebook you can download right there, wehappywarriors.com. And above all, uh, I ask you to join our community of happy warriors, and you can do that right there at wehappywarriors.com and become part of the people, part of the group, part of the community, all of us happy warriors that are working on overcoming the natural resistance that obstructs our progress towards improving our lives. We're all working on this. We're all having the same challenges and the same problems, and there is strength in numbers. Uh, the website again, wehappywarriors.com, and uh, we do look forward to welcoming you to our community. Uh, now, um, I, um, I, I want to show you how the application of these five Fs is not only to our own lives, but also on a larger scale to the community of people, and I'll, I'll explain to you what I mean. Um, I want to show you five permanent principles of the Bible and how they apply. Now, there are many listeners to this show who are not Bible enthusiasts. Um, we even have atheist listeners to the show. I, I welcome all listeners to this show, and, uh, and I, I welcome the spirit of uh, mental and intellectual openness that makes it possible for us to explore topics together that um, there are fewer and fewer places where these topics can be openly discussed today. Uh, five permanent principles of the Bible. One, uh, the, the first one uh, happens to apply to fitness, the second to finance, the third to family, the fourth to friendship, and the fifth to faith. One of the things that you will learn at the We Happy Warriors community, uh, wehappywarriors.com, is that the order is irrelevant. These five exist on a circle. Uh, you can start anywhere, work on any of them, but these are the five that are needed and the five you need to be working on at the same time. So um, the first permanent principle of the Bible is that people are not just animals. Le let me explain. Um, you know, uh, as, a, uh, as a Hebrew, I am very aware of the turbulent and trying times that Jews have experienced, whether it was being thrown out of England in the year 1290 or thrown out of Spain, where we had lived for hundreds of years in 1492, um, whether it is the, uh, uh, the, the terrible events in the middle of World War II, in the middle of the 20th century. And let's look at that for a moment. There was a huge Jewish community in, a, in, in really one of the leading cities of the world at that time. Um, in 1935, Warsaw was a glittering, glamorous capital of Europe. Poland was an important country. It had a successful army, and uh, it had uh, it had had many battles, uh, partially because Poland um, was on a it's sort of on a huge plain uh, between Germany and Russia, sort of a flat plain, and they really had more than their fair share of wars fought on their territory. But uh, by 1935, Warsaw was, I mean, it was like, if you were a world traveler in 1935, you'd visit New York, and you'd visit London, and you'd visit Paris, and you'd visit Warsaw, and you'd visit Moscow, and St. Petersburg, but Warsaw was, was on the list, and not surprisingly, there was a large and prosperous Jewish community in Warsaw, and I must tell you that in my darker moments, I, I have nightmarish thoughts about Jews living their ordinary lives, going about their business in 1935. I just picked that year uh, because none of them, well, I shouldn't say none. Some I know actually did, but very few of them had the faintest idea that life as they knew it was about to come to an end. 
in four years, normal life that they were living in luxurious homes would be replaced by unspeakable horror in torture camps so terrible that death came as a relief. Auschwitz was, of course, located in Poland. Uh, why did the Nazis build their most uh, notorious death camps in Poland and not back in Germany? Uh, partially out of a worry that uh, ordinary Germans um, would not tolerate it. Ordinary Germans, they suspected that ordinary Germans would not put up with death camps in their neighborhoods. But as it turned out, uh, later on, when they built a uh, notorious death camp just outside Munich, uh, turned out people knew about it and accepted it. And uh, I don't say this to point a finger at the Germans. I am at experienced enough in the world, as I'm sure you all are, to know that uh, people accept and get used to almost anything and that if there is government propaganda along the way, uh, it, ex it expedites how easily and quickly they accept it. And the way that uh, Americans and Canadians and Australians and all the people you think that venerate freedom accepted the draconian and uh, really brutal lockdowns, utterly unnecessary lockdowns of the COVID years, uh, that should reassure you that no group of people is immune to this uh, human behavior. And so um, uh, there it was, people living there and, and not realizing what was coming down the road. Look, I'm not suggesting that we in our present time are looking ahead to confront such severe shocks to our lives in the next few years. But Remember, happy warriors recognize that nothing lasts forever. Smart observers recognize that the challenging changes that have swirled so turbulently around the foundations of our world over just the past, say, 10 years even, have consequences that will impact the quality of our lives in an in increasingly dramatic fashion down the road. We're not prophets. We don't know exactly what's happening. But we certainly should be aware that this is the way of the world. One can ignore the distant sound of approaching boots and blindly await whatever cataclysm comes or is expected or is not expected. But one can also make the effort to peer through a periscope and try to spot the approaching threats. It is possible to analyze current events through the lens of ancient Jewish wisdom and emerge with, if not a prophetic sense of where things are headed, at least a good idea of what the short-term future holds for us. Some people condemn themselves to stumble through the dark forest at night, snagged by branches and tripped by roots, Others wear night vision goggles and cover the ground easily and safely. I always want to make sure that happy warriors are equipped with night vision goggles. And today I want to do that in the form of five permanent principles of the Bible. And I believe that these will not only help to make sense of the treacherous landscape in which we are all living, no matter what country you are listening in, this applies to you. Yes, there is a treacherous landscape, and yes, there are sounds of approaching boots that not everybody can hear, but my goal is to help happy warriors avoid the roots and branches in the dark forest that await the unwary. And so whether we are looking at problems, serious problems in the United States of America or Western Europe or the problems in Russia and Ukraine or the problems having to do with China or problems in Africa, wherever you look, I want you to know that the picture you obtain 
as you peer through your periscope to try and see the road ahead, will be much clearer with these five tools. And so, for permanent principle number one, people are not merely smart animals. We are an entirely different species touched by the finger of God and possessing souls. This means that few of the lessons that we learn from animals are applicable to human beings. Okay? And so this is in the category of fitness because, you see, it is precisely our bodies that mislead us into thinking that evolutionary biology explains everything there is to explain about us. And a happy warrior knows to be very suspicious whenever he hears or she hears an explanation or an interpretation of a human condition that is preceded by the words biology, evolution, or um, uh, anything like that, because those depend on the presumption that humans and animals are exactly the same. They just, uh, the, the differences are, are slight and they are in degree. Some animals run faster than humans, some animals run slower. Some animals have more hair than humans, some have less, and so on and so forth. Um, and the truth is that if you try and understand your life and the life of your community around you, and community means friends and family and even your society and your nation, if you try and understand human events around you only from the point of view of evolutionary biology and only from with an eye on the physical and not the spiritual, if you look only at the body and not the soul, you will be making serious mistakes because far too many decisions that are made by human beings, both individually and socially, are made on the basis of the soul, not on the basis of the body, made on the basis of spiritual reasons, not on rational physical reasons. Um, you know, if you think of an animal restricted to uh, an adequately large area and provided with food and water and safety, it will never endeavor to go anywhere else. Uh, people have often been astonished that when a keeper accidentally leaves a door open to a, a cage or an enclosure in a zoo, uh, the animals don't rush to get out. It's almost accidental. They discover the door open and they go out to explore, but they're not seeking their freedom. Whereas a human being who is incarcerated, many, many almost never stop trying to escape, never stop trying to get out, and should an avenue inadvertently be left open, many will instantly take advantage of that because freedom is part of a human soul, not part of the human body. Animals, if they're provided with their basics, are really pretty much comfortable where they are. People, however, even if confined to a very large area in which they can obtain all that their hearts desire, they find that their souls chafe at the restrictions. We humans, we seek the infinite. While animals may protect their territories, we humans feel the urge to seize the territories of others. In civilized circumstances, we try to increase our holdings by purchase and trade and creativity, but in less civilized circumstances, we do so by war and by plunder. Animals act on instinct and are quite incapable of evil. And they're also incapable of choosing good over evil. People are capable of making moral choices and in many cases will choose war and plunder. We do not need to prepare ourselves to cope with evil animals. A mere fence will keep the wolves away from our cattle. But, my dear happy warriors, we very much need to prepare to deal with evil people, or we shall not survive. 
Those nations with a strong sense of their biblical roots tend to build up their societies and allow their people to prosper in an environment of safety and security. Um, occasionally straying from these roots, as Germany did when it temporarily turned to Hitler and his Nazi thugs, even Western nations will pursue predatory policies, but they seldom work for very long. You may remember that Hitler constantly spoke about the thousand-year Reich. What he was alluding to, of course, was the fact that um, there had been a German empire. It was, it was called the Holy Roman Empire, but it was basically uh, where Germany is today and made up of early Germanic tribes. And that lasted for about a thousand years. In, in the sense of, of what it was. I mean, it wasn't a, an empire governed from a, re, a reliable central authority like we understand an empire to mean in more recent times, but basically from about 800 to about 1800, that was the f what Hitler saw in his own mind and in his own distorted vision. He saw that as the first Reich, the first empire. And then uh, much later, from 1871, to uh, 1918, really, the end of World War I, um, everyone saw that as the sort of second German Reich, and Hitler did too. And so when he became chancellor, um, democratically, by the way, in case you think democracy is the solution to everything, um, he became chancellor in January 1933, and he declared the Third Reich, and he called it the Thousand-Year Reich. Well, uh, it basically made just over 12 years, up till May 1945, which was um, essentially when um, Germany was pretty much destroyed by the Allies from the West and Russia from the East. And so uh, that thousand-year Reich, yeah, didn't even make 15 years because it was an abandonment of the permanent principles that make for durable societies. Nations, however, you know, that are based on organizational principles, other than Judeo-Christian, are nations that deny and withhold, deny their people and, and don't let them gain prosperity and security. Um, think of Shaka, Shaka the Zulu. Um, Shaka the Zulu was such an incredible warrior that he even defeated at di in different battles um, the great British army. Really, the, 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 the British army during the height of the British Empire in the late 1800s and early 1900s uh, the Zulu warriors, really some of the greatest warriors of the world, defeated the British in several battles, which, by the way, caused havoc in London because nobody could believe that the barefoot savages of the African savannah could defeat the great British army. But, yes, they did because they were very powerful people. You know, where a... Uh, where a British Army regular can march 20 miles a day, and not too many days of that. I mean, 20 miles a day for a march is about what a soldier can do. Uh, Zulu warriors in their impis, their, uh, their, their groupings, their battalions, routinely would do 50 miles a day. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's to anyone who, anyone, any African like me, who knows, the Zulu people, uh, was not in the least bit surprised that they were able to do so well against the great British army. But um, nonetheless, the organizational principles of the Zulu people under Shaka um, were, were pretty horrible. I mean, he actually, Shaka, by the way, just to give you a time frame, uh, lived from... Um, about, uh, I don't know, about 1860, somewhere there to, a, excuse me, 1760 to about, I'm going to say 1820 or 1830. It was, it was that period um, of, uh, 
of of uh, while America was in formation in North America, and um, and uh, the uh, the British were trying to expand their foothold in Africa. Um, Shaka really um, let them have it, and uh, one of the things that Shaka notoriously did was to prove. The, I don't know if it was to prove or to establish or to develop the loyalty of his warriors. He marched an entire band of warriors off a cliff. Um, he basically made them commit suicide. He, he gave them the order to march, and they marched, and they went off a cliff. And by the way, I know this not from history books, um, I believe this to be true because I was told it by a, a Zulu tribal uh, chieftain who was a repository of his nation's history and who was uh, someone I looked up to and respected um, during the years I was living in that part of the world. And he told me that this is part of the tradition of the Zulu people, that it, it really did happen. And um, several thousand Zulu warriors were needlessly slaughtered because Shaka, their chief, issued the order to march forward, march off the edge of a cliff. Um, I believe it was in the Drakensberg range of mountains. And I have hiked there, and believe me, the cliffs there are very, very serious cliffs. Amazing waterfalls too, but that's a different, um, a different uh, discussion. Anyways, um, what's the mirror image of Judeo-Christian thinking? What's the mirror image? In other words, you have nations like um, most of the Western nations that were founded on Judeo-Christian belief systems. Uh, what's the mirror image of that? Do you know? Yeah, it's communism, of course. And uh, I speak about that extensively in the program you'll find on the, the website, wehappywarriors.com, and it's called Tower of Power, Decoding the Secrets of Babel. That's right. Um, nine verses in chapter 11 of Genesis tell you all you need to know about the organizing and underlying principles of communism. And so, uh, um, so whether you're talking about Shaka, who, who departed from Judeo-Christian principles in one way, or whether you're speaking about communism, which denies its citizens any opportunity whatsoever of improving their abilities to make a living, uh, while needlessly slaughtering them by the million, which Stalin did in the Soviet Union, and Mao Zedong did in China, and Pol Pot did in Cambodia, all under the organizing principle of communism, and which uh, Shaka the Zulu did in Southern Africa. In general, people who, re who reject the Judeo-Christian model of human organization uh, usually end up embracing its opposite, which is a materialistic vision of reality. And in this vision, people are not united by the content of their characters and the devotion of their souls, because people are merely just smart animals. And just as animals are divided by shape and skin color, so are people. This mistaken model insists that there must be fights between men and women. We're, we're, at, we're, at, we're, we're at strife between, uh, with one another. Uh, there has to be strife between black and white. And there has to be strife between rich and poor. This is an age-old false vision of humanity which is kept alive by socialism or progressivism or communism, all the same thing, whatever word you want to use. Yes, it is all the same thing and um, defeated only by its opposite, which is Judeo-Christian uh, beliefs. There are those who still uh, mistakenly long for a secular alternative, we don't want to go the route of communism or socialism or progressivism. Yes, all the same thing. Uh, but we also don't want anything to do with religion or the Bible or God. We just want a benign democracy of secular good laws and good living and good capitalism. 
many people in America's Republican Party, not all, fortunately, there are some very good people, but many people in America's Republican Party, um, like the late John McCain and uh, many, many others, um, really are still in, in, involved and devoted to this, uh, to this futile dream that there is a lovely, wonderful alternative to communism on the, other, on the one side and a Judeo-Christian principled uh, republic on the other. And that somehow we'll find the way, there's a third way, and this is just a benign, secular democracy. Yeah, right. Show it to me. Uh, short while, yeah, short while, but not for long. And uh, America's discovering that tragically right now. So that is, um, um, we've got to understand, is exactly, when I say it's happening right now, by the way, uh, notice uh, the unions, labor unions in the United States of America uh, are treated as if they are a sacred priestly class, automatically cloaked with virtue, right? Teachers unions, whatever unions at all, it's, it's a reliable fact. If you reject the Judeo-Christian model and you seek that benign, secular, capitalistic democracy, uh, what you end up with is what America's experiencing right now. And it's astonishing to me uh, the, the devotion which administrations uh, pay to the labor unions. Yes, I understand they bring money and votes, but look what else they do. Yeah, okay. So permanent principle number one was about our bodies because our bodies can fool us into thinking that we are just like animals. And so permanent principle number one was that people are not merely smart animals. We are an entirely different species touched by the finger of God. We possess souls. And above all, you've got to know that lessons learned from animals are not applicable to people. Permanent principle of the Bible number two. This one has to do with finance. I told you we're looking at the five Fs, right? So we looked at fitness, the body. We're now looking at finance. Here's permanent principle of the Bible number two. There are two basic obstacles to any individual's physical survival. Hear what I just said? There are two basic obstacles to your physical survival. What are they? Number one, extracting a living from an often reluctant earth using as little of our time and energy as possible. That, that, that's what's necessary. Number two, preventing other stronger individuals or groups from attacking us and seizing our property and possibly also taking our lives. Right? There are two basic obstacles to our physical survival. Number one is we've got to make a living. Number two, we've got to prevent other people, stronger individuals or groups, from taking our property and possibly our lives. Now, the Judeo-Christian biblical blueprint confers success upon its followers by solving these two problems. Firstly, it affirms the worthiness of work. See, I told you we're talking about finance. And the idea that we were placed into this Garden of Eden precisely in order to work it and become God's partners in creation. How? By transforming jungle into cities and um, fetid swamps into fertile fields. That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And when that becomes part of our religious obligation, that becomes part of our structure, then obviously as a society we do better than societies that don't have that built into their belief system. Having given us this idea that God wants us to succeed, the Judeo-Christian biblical model then implants in us the idea that God does not allow us as individuals or groups to take the property or lives of others. It even tells us of how borrowing is a bad idea from future generations. It inculcates in us a respect for women and the goodness of protecting and cherishing women. 
Finally, it teaches the importance of specialization to produce God's desire of interdependence upon one another. And uh, I speak about that in my financial prosperity collection. You'll see that also at wehappywarriors.com. Not surprisingly, those cultures that founded themselves by following these Judeo-Christian biblical precepts prospered in peace, prosperity, and tranquility. Well, I guess peace and tranquility are a really the same thing, so I could just say peace and prosperity. As time went by, however, you've got to remember that many blessed Western countries first forgot and then abandoned the very blueprint that brought them to affluence, that biblical blueprint. Environmentalism, with its pantheistic doctrines and worship of nature, is one destructive aspect of the loss of biblical vision. We are now watching the economic consequences of that rash rejection of the founding biblical principles of many countries around the world today. Permanent principle of the Bible number three. This one has to do with family. Here it is. You ready? Permanent principle of the Bible number three. So we looked at fitness, we looked at finance, we're now looking at family. In isolation, individuals live short and painful lives only by organizing ourselves into families, communities, societies, and yes, eventually nations, do we stand a chance of solving the two basic problems of survival that I alluded to in permanent principle number two. Okay, that's uh, a really important thing and, uh, and something that uh, we, we've, got to, we've got to get clear. Imagine if you were the last person alive on the planet, right, after some unimaginable catastrophe wiped out everyone else. So your first sensation would be relief <laughs> at being able to uh, just, you know, just do what you want without anybody nagging you. And uh, you could find a parking place wherever you wanted, but you'd soon discover the problem. There's no electricity because there's nobody operating the power plants. There's no television or radio programming. There's no internet. There's no restaurants. And eventually, there's not even any more food in the now empty markets. Pretty soon, for transport, as you go out to search for food, you'd be reduced to riding whatever horse you could find, and uh, you'd be living like a subsistence peasant in the most poverty-stricken and primitive third-world neighborhood. Eventually, you're going to have to plant something and hope to God it'll grow to a harvest before you starve to death. See, our wealth is other people. It's not that other people mean you have less. All you have is only because you are living and connected with other people. It's only because we subscribe to a common system of values with other people. And that allows us to communicate and cooperate and above all, trust one another. You know, um, 60 years ago, Ghana and South Korea had the same sized uh, economy, as I've told you before. What changed? What changed is that in Ghana, the circle of trust was relatively small and it took a long time to grow. It was basically restricted to family and tribe. But in South Korea, South Korea became more and more Christian. The circle of, um, of trust grew and grew to the point where you were able to do transactions with people you didn't know. And that was what built up America. You understand that if someone was able to destroy the common system of values that unifies the citizens of, shall we say, the United States of America, which is exactly what allows us to communicate and cooperate and above all, trust one another, if somebody could destroy that, well, wait, somebody is doing exactly that, of course. That's right. That's exactly what's happening in the United States of America. The common system of values is being obliterated. And so everything that flows from that will eventually fail. Look, there, there are four alternatives 
in human organization, right? I think without too much thought, everybody agrees that a human living alone doesn't survive for long. So one possibility is just leave everything alone and live with chaos and civic anarchy, right? Another way is centralized planning by a, by a tyrannical regime, whether that is in, uh, in Moscow or in Beijing or in Washington, D.C., but, um, but the idea of a centralized authority, a huge and growing centralized bureaucracy controlling and planning everything, uh, that obviously quickly becomes tyrannical, and it's what I call the second of the choices. If you decide you don't want to live in civic anarchy and chaos, well, that's one possibility. A third possibility is tribal. We just live with our extended family and we trust nobody else. Number four, the Judeo-Christian system of ancient Israel that created Western civilization in general and the United States in particular. The first idea of just leaving everyone alone and living in chaos and anarchy, it's unendurable. And the plight of those trapped in this environment is tragic. As for centralized planning, you really, I mean, wouldn't you think that the 20th century destroyed faith forever in this hopeless model? But yet it lingers with almost religious fervor among America's elite university faculties and Europe's secular fundamentalists. It's hilarious, but tragic. The tribal model has demonstrated an inability to innovate even a bicycle factory, let alone a, a, a chip fabrication plant. Uh, tribal societies seem often incapable of even seeing the benefits of waterborne sewage systems. Finally, the fourth system of human organization, God's plan for human interaction. It speaks for itself. With all the imperfections inevitable when mere humans try to implement a perfect system, you know, it was often said that the Royal Navy uh, was a system designed by geniuses to be used by idiots. Um, look, there's going to be imperfection when humans implement a system, even if the system is perfect as the Judeo-Christian Bible-based system is. Um, the fact is, that's the results of that. They sometimes don't like the process that brings it about, but the results of that Judeo-Christian Bible-based civilization still seems to remain the desire of most human beings, yes, most, and it's what they seek, it's what they vote for with their feet by immigration and even by politics they try to attain the at least the benefits. Uh, in other words, people look at America and say, you know, this is a, uh, a democracy and people try to emulate it, but it doesn't always work. In fact, it seldom works because what brought America its tranquility and its prosperity uh, was not a benign, secular, capitalistic democracy. So that was principle number three, that, uh, that we can't live alone. We've got to be organized. The only choice is how we're going to organize ourselves, how we're going to live. For us happy warriors, a permanent principle of the Bible number three means make sure that you have friends and make sure you have family. Build a family. Let's look at permanent principle of Bible number four. This one has to do with friendship. Um, God created separate nations in the world instead of making all humans part of one big group. And um, you will find at the website wehappywarriors.com, you will find a uh, two-hour video resource, a fantastic, called The Gathering Storm, Decoding the Secrets of Noah. And uh, therein, you will learn a lot about this principle number four, that God did create separate nations of the world, didn't make all humans part of one big group. Remember I asked you, what is the opposite of the Judeo-Christian Bible-based vision? And the answer, progressivism, socialism, communism, yes, they're all the same thing. And um, the, uh, what, what is one of the dreams? Have you ever noticed the 
almost childlike belief that progressives have in the United Nations. And yet when you think about it, the United Nations has achieved very little in reality. There's never been a war it stopped, and there's never even been a war prevented. Um, so, uh, but the idea of a world government, the idea of we're all human beings, the old John Lennon song, imagine. This is the dream of progressivism, socialism, slash communism, which is exactly the opposite of permanent principle of the Bible number four, which is God created separate nations in the world. He did not make all humans part of one huge group. Uh, as a matter of fact, several chapters of Genesis are devoted to showing how God's plan was for each nation to experiment with its own ideas of how human cooperation should best be structured. And Israel was presented with the biblical blueprint and with the mission to share it with the world, which it did through Christianity. If you're interested in the biblical aspect of it, by the way, go to Genesis chapter 10, verse 5. Of these were the islands of the nations divided in their lands, everyone after his language, after his families, and after their nations. In other words, islands, not literally islands, but the word is used in the text. The Hebrew word is Iyehagoyim, the islands of the nations. And what that means is every nation should develop in its own cultural island, and it should find out what works best for it. And along the way, come along and knock at the door of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Knock at the door of a Christian source in order to discover the way to organize human beings, right? To do that, not as chaos and anarchy, not through centralized planning and a tyrannical regime, not tribally, but through a Judeo-Christian system. And so, uh, look, the other faiths we're talking about, um, how, how shall I put this? Um, let's, let's look at the Soviet Union, for instance, right, which until it collapsed in 91, um, the cars they had been making, the Probettas, the Gaz Probettas, the Volgas, the Zil, um, these were roundly rejected by Western car buyers. They were mediocre, mechanical monstrosities. <laughs> so that's what I call them. They're mediocre, mechanical monstrosities. And the only reason they were used in the Soviet Union is because that's all there was. If you bought a car, you bought a Soviet product at the point of a sword, as it were. But um, the Judeo-Christian model doesn't work at the point of a sword, right? The Crusades were not terribly successful. By and large, the Judeo-Christian model, unlike Islam, for instance, which spread as rapidly as it did, primarily because it gave people the choice, convert to Islam, embrace it, or die, uh, that's not how the Judeo-Christian model works. The way it works is, by showing such an enviable lifestyle and demonstrating such a desirable society that everybody wants to be part of it. The problem is that everybody wants to be part of the benefits and very few people want to put in the hard work that builds it and creates it and makes it possible in the first place. And so everything in the opposite system of socialism, communism, progressivism has to be by force, right? Free speech. Free speech is a Judeo-Christian Bible model. We should be able to talk. But as soon as a centralized regime takes control, whether it's in China or the old Soviet Union or in Washington, D.C., there is no more free speech. Political correctness, you say certain things, your career is destroyed, because forcing people into line is part of the system of centralized tyrannical control. It is not the, part, the, uh, the vision of the social model of Judeo-Christian thinking. And so uh, God set up a system, as I said, Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, the islands of the nations, where different people in their own groups could experiment as much as they wanted. Meanwhile, Israel and all those who adopted 
the biblical blueprint, would build such vastly superior societies that others would eventually flock to adopt the same system of organizing principles. Let competition of ideologies flourish and let people choose the right way. That was God's design. Uh, the United States today is, uh, is, is really imperiled by increasing numbers of citizens who regard themselves as citizens of the world. And this is particularly in large high-tech companies. They don't see themselves as citizens of the United States of America. On university campuses, recently the legislature of North Carolina tried to make it a requirement that at any university in North Carolina, students have to learn about the founding of the United States of America. They've got to find about, learn about the founding principles of the Judeo-Christian organizing model. And uh, all the professors at the University of North Carolina uh, signed a virulent uh, uh, petition they will never agree to that. One of the points of the petition, I think it was point number two, by the way, was that this insulted their intellectual authority. Gosh, there's arrogance on the campus. It, it's breathtaking sometimes. Um, but um, it's just worth noting that uh, people want the benefits. Oh, you ask the uh, folks at, on the faculties of the University of North Carolina if they like the government money that flows to them through the student loan scam. Oh, they like the money, but they hate the system that made that money possible in the first place. The system of creativity and collaboration and communication and cooperation that a shared system of common values made possible. So, um, oh my goodness, yes, uh, the, on faculties, you know, they, they don't want to know about the United States. The idea that the United States is a Bible-based civilization um, is utterly rejected. And this is rejected, as I say, in uh, high-tech financial and, uh, and technology companies. It's rejected on the campuses of universities. So... Um, uh, yeah, look, there, there are certain threats are, um, are, are, are real for American families. Crime is a, is a serious threat in America. Uh, gas and diesel prices surging, electricity prices out of control. Uh, these are serious threats, water shortages because dams are being destroyed instead of being built. These are serious threats to hardworking American families, and yet... What does the centralized, tyrannical regime push? What do university faculties push? Climate change! Oh, the biggest threat! And one of the worst signs, that, or one of the best signs, that the American military has uh, deteriorated and is, is sinking down the same bottomless pit um, is that the uh, leadership of the American military has stated that climate change is the biggest threat facing the United States. Actually, it isn't. It's China. But, um, you know, far be it from me to, to tell those brainy guys anything at all. So real threats like crime and water shortage and gas and diesel prices and electricity costs, things that are really making life hard on American families, inflation, those are the thing, and no, climate change is all that is spoken about. Making gas stoves illegal in New York State, ah, now that's doing something because that's going to help the climate. But the things that people really care about, no, because this is a struggle between two competing moral visions, two competing visions that have their own social organizing principles. Communism, socialism, progressivism on the one side, the Judeo-Christian Bible system on the other. And so uh, uh, Western civilization, which grew from those societies which adopted Christianity, which in itself adopted Judaism, the faith of Israel, it's no surprise that over 90% of the scientific discoveries and the medical advances, yes, more than 90% of the past 1,100 years came from 
Christendom came from countries, it's an old-fashioned word for Western civilization, I like the word, um, yeah, over 90% of the scientific discoveries of the last 1,100 years came out of countries that are Christian countries or were Christian countries. Uh, at the same time, I want to establish that no capital market ever emerged indigenously from a non-Christian country. Capital markets in the form of stock exchanges, London, Amsterdam, and today you find them, of course, all over the place. But um, that was the whole idea. That's God's design, that people should see how well the system works and voluntarily, not at the point of the sword, but voluntarily adopt it. Well, they certainly are trying to adopt the prosperity part, but they fail to adopt the powerful fuel, the spiritual energy that drives that creative engine. Look, uh, many societies have adopted the outward trappings of the West. Uh, there's no, I mean, I, I know what some of you are thinking. Of course, this is true. Um, today, you can go to uh, Beijing and Bombay and Bangkok, and you can look at banks and bathrooms. Yeah, go and visit a bank in Bombay, a bathroom in in Bangkok, uh, banks or bathrooms in Beijing, you will see that they're exactly the same way that bathrooms and banks look in Boston and Birmingham and Berlin, right? Sticking with my uh, bees. However, in most cases, they've neglected to adopt the biblical underpinnings of morality and law that ultimately make possible those outward trappings. I can't stress this sufficiently importantly. The outward trappings are easy to copy, but ignoring the biblical underpinnings of morality that, and law that power and make possible those outward trappings dooms those. They can't work. And so their durability is in doubt. And it even suggests the imprudence of the West trying to salve its conscience by throwing large sums of foreign aid to developing countries. It's nuts, completely nuts. The idea that raising taxes on hardworking Americans and sending loads of money to barbaric regions of the world and that this will convert them into exotic versions of Highland Park, New Jersey or Encino, California, it's laughable. Look, uh, to, to prove this point, let me share a little thought experiment with you. I ask you to imagine a remote island whose primitive population spends most of its time robbing and raping, mugging and murdering. What do you think will bring about more change? Parachuting in bags of cash along with officials of the World Bank? Or if we sent in a hundred Christian missionaries? What do you think? would have the best impact. Look, you've got to see the biblical model is verified by the immigration patterns of the last 60 years. The greatest and most rapid human migration in history has been from non-Christian founded countries to Christendom or to the West. You know, to put it maybe too bluntly, Saudi Arabia and Somalia have no illegal immigration problems. People vote with their feet for what works, and what works in terms of allowing people to make a living and to stay reasonably safe and secure is the Judeo-Christian-based West. The disturbing deceit inherent in the idea of multiculturalism and its close cousins, the communist dream of internationalism and globalism, along with the left's childlike faith in the impotent United Nations. These are nothing but futile manifestations of the attempt to overturn this fourth permanent principle of the Bible. And that brings us to permanent principle of the Bible number five. This one is about faith. Remember? Faith, because we did fitness, finance, family, and friendship. Friendship being you know, the organizing of uh, human society and realizing that we're supposed to be separate societies, separate groups of friends. Permanent principle of the Bible number five has to do with faith, and here it is. There are few more powerful motivators for human beings than a deep conviction in what people's God wants from them. All right? Deep down, in reality, 
nothing is a more powerful motivator for human beings than the deep conviction of what their God wants from them. That's a really important thing. And so that's why faith is part of the five F's. People might say, oh, you know, I'm not a person of faith. Okay, fine. You know, it's like somebody saying, I've got a broken leg, but I'm not a person with two functioning legs. I'm just going to leave it. No, go to an orthopedic doctor and have it fixed up and be able to become a normal human being again. Oh, I'm not a person of faith. Well, fix it up. Do something about it because it's a vitally important part of your success and your happiness. So um, uh, we got to remember that. People are driven by a sense of conviction in what their God wants from us or them. And um, you know what? You know, I'll tell you what the best uh, evidence of this, the best evidence of this is Islam. Um, you know, Islam, it, it, it may not have a God that asks its devotees to build attractive, peaceful, prosperous, successful societies. But those devotees are certainly totally committed. And I'll say it explicitly, I admire Islamic belief and commitment and spiritual dedication because total commitment, even to something wrong, trumps lukewarm commitment to truth. Shall I say that one more time? Total commitment, even to something wrong, trumps lukewarm commitment to truth. That's right. Just look around the world and you'll see how true that is. Alcoholics Anonymous works so well for people with drinking problems precisely because its founder, Bill Wilson, recognized the need to include God while attempting major human transformation. Not surprisingly, government-run anti-drug programs accomplish very little because they so deliberately and meticulously banish God from the program. These five, minute, five permanent principles of the Bible are really, really important to understand because by looking around at how the world really works, you're able to see the power of these five centralized principles and realize what they can do in your life as well. Permanent principle of the Bible number one, this one is, has to do with our bodily fitness. People are not merely smart animals. We are an entirely different species touched by the finger of God. We possess souls. And this means that any lessons that are learned from animals are simply not useful they are not applicable to us humans now we move to finance permanent principle bible of number two there are two basic obstacles to any individual's physical survival extracting a living from an often reluctant earth using as little of our time and energy as possible and number two preventing other stronger people or groups from attacking us and taking our property or even our lives that's right that's principle number two. You've got to be able to make money. That's called making a living. That's how you eat. You've got to be able to do that. Got to make money. And then you've also got to be able to prevent others from taking away your money or even your life. Permanent principle number three has to do with family. In isolation, individuals live short and painful lives. And that's true for you and you and me here today as well. If we do not have our families and our friends, it's very bad. In isolation, our lives are short and usually painful. Only by organizing ourselves into families and then communities and societies and, yes, our nations. That's why nationalism is a good thing. Patriotism is a good thing. Not surprisingly, nationalism is turned into an evil word by progressives, socialists, and communists. Internationalism is a great thing. But the idea that I am for my nation, today, you, 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 there are people I know of who got fired from their jobs because they, are, they say that I am a nationalistic American patriot. Nationalism is turned into a bad word. Biblical permanent principle of the Bible number four, friendship. 
God created separate nations in the world instead of making all humans part of one big group. Permanent principle of the Bible number five, faith. And that has to do with the fact that we are fundamentally driven, even subconsciously. If you are a person who is not a faith, you're somebody who says, you know what, I, I live very well as a secular human being. I'm, I, don't, I don't, you know what, I don't believe in God. I'm just, I'm, I'm a good human being just the way I am. What you don't realize is the extent to which you are motivated, driven, and shaped by your conviction in what your God wants from you. Maybe your God is Gaia, the goddess of nature, in which case you really believe that what your God wants from you more than anything else is to fight global climate change. That's right. There are people who really do believe that. It is a religious belief. That's the important thing to understand. And so, my dear happy warriors, I ask you to uh, visit wehappywarriors.com website. Join us. Become part of the Happy Warriors community and march forward to growth, achievement, change, development, and success in your finances, in your fitness, in your faith, in your family, and in your friendships. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Thank you for being with us. God bless.